Good morning. One person clapped. Thank you. So, you know, if you knew what we were talking about today, I probably wouldn't get any claps. You may have not even come here. We're digging into Proverbs 5, so I don't know if anybody looked ahead what topic we're going to be exploring, but Proverbs 5 is going to be a bit of a heavy one for us today, but it is something that's very relevant, and the beautiful part of God's Word, especially when we do it uh, expositionally, meaning we just kind of go chapter and verse through the Bible, is we don't shy away from hard or challenging topics. But to start our time, we are going to start with an illustration. So I need a volunteer, okay? Now, if you remember two weeks ago, Adeline volunteered, and she had to walk. It was pretty easy. I'm going to be honest with you. This volunteer is not going to have it quite that easy today. I don't want to scare you away, but uh, I, I want you to be ready for a challenge. And I also want you, you can't have any food allergies. Because you're going to be a taste tester for us, okay? So no food allergies, and you have to be pretty brave here if you're going to take this one on. I'm not doing it, so I need one of you to do it. Okay, come on up. Yeah, no, you are. I'm going to have you stand right in front of the board here, okay? All right, you are going to get blindfolded. You're going to be a blindfold taste tester for us, okay? So turn around. I'm going to try to blindfold you best I can here. Uh, taste something and he's going to give us his impressions of it. You have no food allergies, correct? All right, so I'm going to feed you with a spoon, just a small little dab here, okay? So, are you ready? <laughs> you have no idea, so, okay, here's number one. Ready? Open. Okay, how'd that go for you? I don't like that. Okay. <laughs> Can you tell what that was? Applesauce, okay, so uh, everybody likes applesauce. How do you not like applesauce, okay? You can not blindfold it. How would you describe what you just tasted? Bad. Okay. Well, maybe talk flavor other than bad. Was it sour? Weird. Weird? <laughs> Was it uh, sweet? Yes. Sweet. That, that's a reasonable reasonable uh, definition of applesauce. Are you ready for number two? Okay. Okay. <laughs> all right, so you might want to get a little bit wider stance here, okay? I'm not ready for this, so, all right. Also going to give you just another little dab here, all right? You're ready. Okay, open. Oh, that was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> So how would you uh, describe, you can take the blindfold off there. Please tell me that was vinegar. <laughs> it was vinegar, yes. That was good. You, okay. You, you might want to have a drink while you're still here. How would, while you're still uh, there, how would you describe the taste of that? I don't like it. No. <laughs> would you say the applesauce was better or worse than the vinegar? Probably better. <laughs> okay. This wasn't quite as big a contrast as I anticipated here. Typically, most of us are going to like applesauce, and most of us are going to have a pretty similar response to the taste of vinegar. Any of you tried to chug vinegar? 
And I just gave a little dab there. We thought about just having him take a whole chug of it, but I thought he might spit it back over me, and I couldn't get out of the way in time. So, uh, uh, so that, I think, is going to set us up for an appropriate illustration of what God has for us from Proverbs 5. So if you're not already there, please turn to uh, Proverbs chapter 5. I'm going to read the entire chapter, and then we're going to break it down. As Pastor Scott mentioned, due to lack of printing, we don't have a handout for you today. I still have a handout. Uh, I will walk through, so if you do take notes, you can write down as we go. But turn to chapter 5, and if you would, go ahead and stand, and, and we'll have to see if Creighton actually comes back. So, okay, good. He's coming back. He's still alive. So, very good. I, I double-checked. Your parents signed the consent, so you're okay. All right? All right. From Proverbs chapter 5, starting in verse 1. I'll read the entire chapter here. My son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her, and do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say how I hated discipline and how my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets. Let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely deer, a graceful doe, let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the wisdom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast. In the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. So God's word be seated. Let's pray. Oh, Father, you always have timeless truths for us, and we are at seasons in our lives where these words are needed uh, more than ever. They are needed uh, when we are young and even as we are old, Lord. Uh, Father, um, you can have sobering truth for us of the dangers and the destinations uh, that our sin can lead us to. So I pray today that you will open our eyes to the truth that you have from your word, that you will keep us from the path of unrighteousness, but help us walk, and not only walk, but delight in the things that you would have for us. In your name we pray, amen. Okay, so we're, we're covering a heavy topic. We're talking specifically about adultery, but I think in general, particularly for you, we can apply it to any level of sexual immorality. So we're talking sex today, all right? So 
you haven't got all up and left, it would probably be more awkward for you to leave than just sit around and let's hear what we have to talk about or what God's Word has to talk about here. And uh, just in case, uh, as the uh, ladies listen here thinking, oh, this is all just for men. Now remember, Solomon is writing to his sons, but this information, this teaching applies just as much to his daughters, just as much as females as it does to men. So don't think that you're off the hook. Every time we say son, also think daughter. Every time we say man, also think woman. This applies to us all. It is not just the men who are tempted to follow the forbidden woman. It is also the women that are tempted to follow the forbidden man. So these are going to be universal truths that we can apply. I titled this The Path to the Bitter End. And as we had Creighton demonstrate, bitterness is not much fun, right? There is nothing pleasant from something that is bitter. Something may start or appear very sweet. That initial taste we may get may tickle the taste buds. It may draw us in. But what Solomon is telling us here is it's not always as it seems, and its overall path is that of, of bitterness. And we're going to explore some of that here today. So I'm breaking our text down into four separate sections. If you are taking notes, I will highlight each one as we go. Uh, we're going to look at the destination of sexual sin from verses 1 to 6. We're going to look at the debt of sexual sin from verses 7 through 14. We're going to explore the delight of sex in marriage from verses 15 to 20. And we'll close with looking at the discipline it takes to avoid sexual sin in verses 21 to 23, or particularly motivations to a life of purity. So let's start with the destinations of, of sexual sin, verses 1 through 6. And, and we're going to open these, and I'm going to try and illustrate different parts as I go. But even starting in verse 1 and 2, this is similar to every other chapter we've seen so far in Proverbs of the father pleading with the son, pleading with the daughter, in order to, to wake up, to be attentive to what he's about to say, that this is wisdom, because we need to hit it up over and over again. What is wisdom? How are we defining wisdom? You've already given it too many times, right? I need somebody else to do it. You've got it down, I know. Come on. I'll make you drink more vinegar if we don't get an answer. All right, Lincoln, what's wisdom? Worshiping God by rightly applying God's truth to real life situations. Worshiping God by rightly applying whose truths? Our truths or God's truths? God's truths. God's truths. To real life situations. So Solomon is again pleading with his son to apply God's truths to real situations. We're going to study real situations today. We're going to study that of sexual sin. The temptation, the draw, and the path of sexual sin. So Solomon opens up this chapter and, and repeats it actually again in verse 7. We'll look at it. But he is warning, he is pleading with the son of Listening, And what does he need to listen to? He needs to listen for what is the destination of a path of sexual sin. We've illustrated many times as we've looked on Proverbs. Remember, we always kind of do this fork in the road when we think of Proverbs. We have the way of wisdom, right? And the way of folly. What does the path of wisdom lead to? Whoops, you can say it louder, Life. What does the path of folly lead to? 
Okay. The path of sexual sin that Solomon lays out here is a path of death. He illustrates different ways this is drawn in. Is the, the, it seems like it's a good path. It, it drips with honey. Her speech is smoother than oil. But in the end, she is bitter wormwood. It, wormwood. it may make you feel that you're on a good path. It seems to, to feel good. However, he's warning you that this is a path of folly that will lead to death. Verse 5, her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. It is a stark warning that he's given to his son that this is no small thing. If you're on this path, it is no small thing. You need to listen up. Pay attention. I love verse 6. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. She does not ponder the path of life. She does not know it. She doesn't know the path of life, or he does not know the path of life. Remember in verse or in chapter 4, we talked a little bit about kind of the evilness of evil, how evil people do things and they don't even realize it's just because evil is so ingrained in them. It's so ingrained in them from chapter 4, we learned that they have difficulty sleeping unless they've even uh, done something that's evil. Similar here to this forbidden woman, to this adulteress, forbidden man, again, we can plug in forbidden man as well, you have to think of them that they don't even necessarily realize or understand what path they are on. They think they're probably doing everything right. They think they're going down a very enjoyable life of, um, life of pleasure. So I want you to think in your own life of who are you taking your cues from? Who are you taking your inspiration from? Who are you letting influence you and your life? If you do have a relationship with uh, a man or a, a boy or a girl, so and you have a relationship with them, and you profess to be a follower of Jesus, you, you profess to, to know Jesus, are you in a relationship with someone who isn't, who isn't a follower of Jesus? If they're not a follower of Jesus, they're not even going to know that path. They're not even going to realize what's going on. Are you actively choosing to have someone in your life that doesn't even know what they're doing? Are, are you believing the lie that somehow that tight, close relationship is going to not have an, a profound effect on you in, in a very negative way? All right. the, the person you're with that's not a believer, not a follower of Christ, they don't even know. They don't even realize this path that they're on. They may be able to, to make that path sound very enjoyable, very pleasurable. But, but they don't realize, because the Holy Spirit hasn't worked in their life, to show them this is a path of death. This is a path of folly. Consider who it is you are having in your life, who you are having a relationship with. Now, we're surrounded by non-believers, non-Christians all of the time. This isn't telling us we can't have relationships with those people, but who are we surrounding ourselves closest with? Who are we engaging in a personal relationship with closely? And then why are we doing that? Verse 7, Solomon again pleads with the son. And now, O son, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth, pleading yet again. This next section is the debt of sexual sin. There's about five different things that you give up when you enter into sexual sin. But I want us to unpack verse 8 a little bit here. 
because I, I think many of us don't take this verse as seriously as we need to. And it goes into to some of my previous points. If you look again at verse 8, keep your way far from her. Do not go near to the door of her house. Keep your finger in Proverbs 5, but turn with me to Matthew 5. Matthew 5, 27 and 30, we're going to look at. Solomon here is telling us, keep your way far from her. Or, let's change it again, keep your way far from him. Do not go near to the door of her house. I've unfortunately seen over and over again, I'm convinced that there's likely several of you in this room that may believe that, yeah, I know this relationship's not right, I know what we're doing's not right, but I still want to be involved in this person's life. I'm going to, uh, I, I know we can't do this or that, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to not do that, but I'm still going to have that person in my life. Well, I think Solomon here is warning you that that's not wise. That's not worshiping God through rightly applying his truth. Jesus tells us just as much in, in Matthew 5, I'm going to read verses 27 to 30, particularly, again, talking about adultery, talking about sexual sin here. He's, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. For it is better for you to lose one of your members than that your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go to hell. Jesus gets very radical in how we should deal with sin. Sexual sin here, and we're looking at sexual sin in Proverbs 5 as well. I think we need to listen, heed those warnings as well of how radical we need to get to protect ourselves. If we talk about what's wise of avoiding, or as Solomon says, keep far from her, do not go near the door of her house, or keep far from him, do not go near the door of his house. And Jesus says, yeah, if you've got a problem, you need to get radical. You need to pluck your eye out. You need to cut your hand off. This is not literal, okay? This is figurative, just saying how radical, how intense we need to get. So if you're sitting here and you're thinking that you can hold on to a relationship that perhaps you already committed a sexual sin with, or you are tempted to commit a sexual sin, Solomon is telling you, Jesus is telling you that that thinking, that you could still be in that relationship and somehow protect yourself, is foolishness. You are on a path of folly if you continue to walk down that. If you think you in and of yourself are strong enough in order to resist the temptation of either what you've already experienced or think that you want to experience, the honey that draws you in is greater than your strength in and of yourselves to do it. Solomon recognizes that. Jesus recognized that, which is why they want us to get so radical in order to separate ourselves from those situations. So if you apply that and think that through in your own life. If you're holding on to that relationship that's causing you temptation, or maybe it's not even a relationship, maybe it's pornography or something like that, and you're not getting radical with how you deal with it, you're on a path of folly. You're on a path of foolishness. You're on a path that leads to death. And if you have questions of what does radical, what does it look like to radically deal with my sin? 
Those are all conversations I, Pastor Scott, any of us would love to have with you. Because when we talk about your specific situations for everyday life, if you want to apply wisdom, if you want to worship God through applying his truths to realize situations, that would be a perfect time to say, okay, what is God's truth? How can I worship God by applying God's truth and get radical with my sin? How can I, as Solomon says, keep far from it? How can I not even go near the door of her house, his house? So if you're struggling with any of those things, please let us know. We would love to have those conversations with you and help you take you from God's words that we're hearing now down to street level, down to applying to your specific situation as you have to walk day in and day out. There is a great debt of any sexual sin. Solomon highlights five different ones here. We'll start in verse uh, nine. Uh, Lest you give your honor to others. The first thing you give up when you uh, engage in sexual sin is you give up your honor. Honor is not near as common of a word or even a, a thought that we get as concerned about these days. But I think you guys care about honor and respect probably more than you realize, maybe more than you even understand. It may be a little bit more subconscious thing of, I want others to respect me. I want others to honor me. And you can be respected and honored in a good way. I'm not saying this in a, in a conceited way. Of, I, I want respect and I want honor. Or I want to be put on a pedestal. But no, you want others to respect you. I would ask, are you doing things that are respectable? Are you doing things that are honoring? When we sin particularly sexual, we do dishonoring things. We do disrespectful things, and then somehow we're shocked when people don't respect us. We're somehow shocked that rumors, maybe that weren't even necessarily true, but were based on some disrespecting and dishonoring behavior, get out there about us. If you engage in sexual sin, you are giving up that honor. You are giving up that respect. Don't be surprised when then you lose it. Solomon tells us you will lose your honor. Next, also from verse 9, the second part of verse 9, you lose time. End of verse 9, uh, and your years, lest you give up your honor to others, and your years to the merciless. Now, time at your age uh, probably has a little bit different thought or connotation than it does uh, at my age. And as we age, it always does feel like time feels different. So... How, how can you even comprehend, okay, years lost, right? What years could be lost here? Well, years start with minutes. They build the hours and days and, and months, and eventually, when you're old like me, it, it gets to years. So how is a sexual sin possibly robbing you of time? How are you paying time for engaging in sexual sin? Well, it's not just the time of the act. It's not just the time you lose of looking at pornography or the time you lose in engaging that uh, activity with another person. What about the time you lose by even thinking about it? The time you lose in thinking about that other person or, or um, not maybe just not the time you lose with uh, your, your thoughts with that person, the, the time you lose on pursuing that other person, the things you do in order to try and feed that desire for sexual sin. You are losing I can probably say minutes, if not hours per day, in a thought life alone that is getting taken away from you as you're pursuing these foolish desires, as you're pursue, pursuing this path of folly. 
And maybe you're here, you're like, you know what, I'm really not struggling with that. I don't have a boyfriend. I don't have a girlfriend. I, you know, I'm not having any of those issues. Well, how often do you get involved in conversation about your friend's issues? We all kind of think of the drama that can happen in school. How much time do you think you spend, this is rhetorical, you don't have to answer me, maybe talking to your friends about their boyfriends or girlfriends and how one boyfriend said this or one girlfriend said this? How much time do you think you spent texting about that or talking in the hall or talking during study hall when you could be using that time much more effectively and wisely? Those are all minutes that you're paying. That is a debt you are paying when your time could be used for something much greater. Sexual sin, sexual impurity robs us of time. Next, we lose our strength. Verse 10. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength. Now, this can have a lot of different implications, um, particularly when you're talking about the uh, adulteress, specifically adultery being when one married person engages in a, a sexual sin outside of marriage. But again, even think of your day in, day out thing. How much strength, how much energy are you putting towards a pursuit of sexual sin or sexual impurity, either of yours or of somebody else's? This can be very draining on us as we get wrapped up in the drama of other people's relationships as they are pursuing very sinful things. We can become physically tired, physically weak, dealing with all of these things. That does lead into a little bit of the, the final one that we'll get to of our health and our body. We'll save that for a moment. But if you've ever come home from a day of school that's had a lot of drama and you've been very worn out, you are getting zapped of your strength. Now, sometimes that can happen with good, righteous, helpful pursuits. I come home from work and I sometimes feel tired as well. But we have to think through is what is taking our strength away? Is it a good, noble, appropriate, righteous pursuit? Or is it a sinful and unrighteous pursuit that we are allowing to rob us of our strength? Next, sexual sin has the uh, possibility to rob our labors or our money. At the end of verse 10, uh, and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. So if you, if you do think of a, a specific adultery situation that all of a sudden you get divorced and you have to pay child support and alimony, all those things that's going, you're giving your money away to someone else because you foolishly chose it. But it doesn't just go uh, in, in the context of marriage. It can be for all of us. To pursue sexual sin, you may buy something for someone else. You may want to try and impress them and you take them to the nicest restaurants or, or buy them gifts and, and you're giving your money for a sinful pursuit. Or think of pornography. You may pay uh, online in order to have a certain experience. You're, you're paying for, you're giving your money away in the pursuit of sexual sin, in the pursuit of what leads to death, what leads to pathophily that leads to death. We can quickly lose money and effort as we pursue sexual sin. And finally, finally, in verse 11, and at the end of your life you groan and your flesh and body are consumed. As we pursue sexual sin, it has the opportunity to uh, uh, take away our health and our body. Now, 
I, I would assume at this time we've all had sex ed class in school, so we're not going to go into the specifics of STDs or anything like that. But that's what this is referencing here is sexual sin outside of a committed marriage relationship has the potential to cause great physical health, uh, 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 health issues to your body. And, and a pursuit of that can wreak uh, disastrous, disastrous implications, both temporarily and sometimes permanently. And Solomon is warned that when you get to that end of your life and your flesh and your body are being consumed after a pursuit of sexual sin, you will lead to say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. Recognizing in the future that that past discipline that he hated, that he despised when his teachers uh, tried to give him instruction, tried to give him the path of warnings, he's pretty much saying here, I should have listened to that. I didn't listen to it, and now I'm very far down the path of foul. I'm very far to the path of death. So he's reflecting back on what it was like. So there is a great debt of our sexual sins. We've seen the destination that our sexual sin leads to. We've seen the debt. Uh, but there is great delight in sex with inside marriage. This isn't just a sex is bad, don't think about sex, don't you know, pursue uh, a right relationship. Sex is a beautiful and wonderful thing, but as verses 15 to 20 show us, it was given to us by God to only be expressed within marriage, within marriage, within that covenantal relationship that you make with another person. This should be a great delight. God gave that to us for our delight, for our pleasure, but he did not give it to us before any of those things. And this goes beyond just the consummation of a relationship through the actual process of sex. He doesn't desire that we have even sexual thoughts, sexual lusts outside of a marriage relationship. We so quickly in our society think that if I'm physically attracted to someone, that if I um, you know, am drawn into them, that's what's going to make a good relationship. And we're really all we're doing is, is we're feeding a sinful lust if that's our pursuit. God calls us to something much greater. Jesus called us in Matthew 5 to something greater, saying that if you even look at a woman, if you even look at a man with sinful thoughts, that enough is sin. That enough is the practice of adultery, of, of sexual immorality. So we need to not just be so worried about uh, our actions, we need to even be so concerned with our thought life as well. Our thought life can rob us of, of all of these things as well. But we recognize that sex is good, but sex in God's design is good. And we'll wrap up our time finally to look at verses 21 to 23 to talk about the discipline to avoid sexual sin. There's four main motivations I want us to consider for our sexual purity. As, I, as you've heard me talk before, maybe in other classes, there's kind of this idea of white knuckle Christianity of, okay, I know I'm not supposed to have sexual thoughts. I know I'm not supposed to have uh, sexual experiences with people, so I'm just going to try really hard. I'm not going to do it. That, that's very hard. That's very challenging. I've given the illustration before. If, you don't think of zebra, if I tell you don't think of zebras, what do you think of? Think of elephants. Right? I mean, you're thinking of zebras, right? So you have to replace that with something else. And that does take great discipline. So what do we need to motivate us to a life of sexual purity? Well, Solomon tells us 
uh, first looking in verses 21, for a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. I don't know if you should need any more motivation than that, but motivation number one is secret sins are not secret since the Lord sees. Whatever you think you've gotten away with, you haven't. Maybe your parents haven't found out yet. Maybe your friends haven't found out. Maybe nobody else knows. But Solomon is telling us our ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He knows. There is no secret that we can escape from him. Next, every decision you make is scrutinized by the Lord. He doesn't just see it, but he is actually evaluating. He's actually scrutinizing it. The end of verse uh, 21, or the full verse, but for a man's ways before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The Lord is considering the path that you're on. He's evaluating your path of foolishness, your path of folly, or the path of wisdom that leads to life. Jesus, the Lord, is, is scrutinizing every decision that you make. That sexual sin robs you of your life and freedom and results in bondage. Verse 22, the iniquities, the sins of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. One of the uh, amazing powers, particularly of sexual sin, it applies to all sin, but particularly of sexual sin, is how quickly you become ensnared, tied down with a rope, uh, uh, in bondage to it. You can get so caught up that you may think that there is no way out. You may not even, hey, want a way out, but it encaptures you perhaps quicker and more deeply than any other sin, which is why Solomon warns essentially for three chapters, starting here in chapter 5 and 6 and 7, have similar notes that we'll continue to look in. But it encaptures you, it enslaves you, it places you in bondage like few sins do. We need to recognize that, that even starting down that path, it can become very challenging to get off of that path because we do get so tied down, so in bondage, so enslaved to it. And uh, finally, verse 23, he dies for lack of discipline and because of his great folly, he is led astray. We see the destination here, but we also see that the fool believes his or her, his or her feelings and that they cannot help themselves. That's kind of what that bondage, that enslavement does, is you think that you can't do anything else. You think that there is no way out. Well, I will partly agree with you that outside of Jesus, outside of the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, there is no way out. But for those who are, have been redeemed, those who have given their life to Jesus, who's, who has the Holy Spirit working within them, there is always a path. We are not destined forever down the path of folly. If we cry out to Jesus, if we confess our sin, if you had heard in, in first service, it's more than just confession. It's, it's a full act of repentance. If we are in sexual sin, we need to repent of it, which is involves confessing, involves saying what I'm doing is wrong. It is turning from that. But repentance also involves turning to God, turning to Jesus, turning to a path of life, turning to a path of wisdom, turning down the path of righteousness. That can only happen in our lives if we've given our lives to Jesus, if we have the Holy Spirit working and changing us and uh, uh, 
changing our conscience as we study his words, as we explore and continue to study Proverbs and Proverbs 5 and, and all of these different things. There is a way off the path of folly. There is a way off from death, but it is only through Jesus. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You will not get to the path of life in your own strength. You will not get to the path of life through your own wisdom, through your own reasoning, and certainly not through your own effort or self-will. You need Jesus. You need the Holy Spirit. And the amazing God we serve gave us that. He gave us Jesus. He gave us his Holy Spirit to work inside us. He gave us his word in order to, to right our minds so that we do have right thinking. But I do want you to remember always that you have one other thing that he has given you, and he has given you each other. And particularly he's given you other brothers and sisters in Christ to, to help you with these things. Too often in life, we try and get off of the wrong path and onto the right path in our own strength and in our own effort. You won't be able to do that. You can do it with God's spirit, through God's word, and with help of God's people. So if you are struggling and you need help, you need to ask for it. You need to ask uh, brother or sister in Christ. You need to uh, study God's word. You need to ask for the spirit to continue to work in your life in order to help you put off those old sins and put on a life of purity, put on a life of righteousness. So a few questions I want to leave with you now. If you haven't figured out my rhythm, I kind of base it off of everything that we've just studied here. So when we talked about the destination, we talked about the debt, we talked about the delight, we talked about the discipline of sexual sin. First question I want you to ask yourself is, what path are you on right now? What destination are you heading towards? Are you heading towards the path of life, the path of wisdom? Or are you running? Are you walking? Are you maybe even crawling? You may just be tipping your toe in the water of a path of death, a path of foolishness. What path are you on right now? We talked about the debt. How much are you willing to pay for your sexual sin? Solomon tells us you will pay with honor. You'll pay with time. You'll pay with strength and money and your health. Are you willing to pay those things in order to get a very temporary uh, moment of what you perceive to be pleasure, of gratification, that is in the end going to be no more pleasurable than it was for Creighton to sip that vinegar? And if you want to know what that was like, we still have half a glass up here. You can come experience it. We talked about the delight of sex and marriage. Do I delight in the same things that God delights in? If your delights, your desires, your affections, the things you are wanting are different than God's, ask yourself why. If you don't know what God desires, what God delights in, then ask somebody else why. Or ask somebody else, what does God desire? What does God delight in? Please ask me. I'll be happy to explore what God delights in. And then we can consider and, and walk that life together. And then finally, the discipline to avoid sexual sin. Ask yourself, what are you willing to do to maintain sexual purity? What are you willing to do? Are you willing to get radical? Are you willing to stay away from his or her door? Are you willing to cut your right hand off? Are you willing to pluck your right eye out in order to take your sin seriously and walk a path of wisdom, a path toward life? Are you going to continue to think foolishly that you can flirt with that path? Are you going to continue to think that 
oh, I'm not, it's not going to happen again, or it's not going to happen to me the first time, I'm stronger than that, I'm going to avoid it. Solomon's warning us, Jesus warned us, and I want to warn you not out of my wisdom, but out of God's wisdom, is you can't. You don't have the strength. What are you willing to do to maintain sexual purity? What are you willing to do to walk a path of wisdom, a path of life in this regard? Let's pray. Father, these are uh, heavy things, but we recognize that because they're from your word, they are right and important things for us to consider, for us to explore. Uh, I pray for my own heart uh, today, Lord, as, uh, as I even consider these things in my own life, that I will uh, pursue a life of wisdom, uh, pursue a life of life, Lord. But I know that it would never be a path that I could be able to figure out on my own. I need your spirit working in me. Uh, I need your word to reveal, to, to shine a light on the path of wisdom. And Father, I need my brothers and sisters in Christ to, to uh, carry me and show me and point me in the right direction uh, as I walk towards you, Lord. And Father, I have that same prayer uh, for each uh, boy and girl here today, Lord. Just uh, use your spirit to open their eyes to the path of wisdom. If there be... Uh, any sin that they are um, either deeply ensnared or enslaved to, or even are just tipping their toe in the water, that you will quickly convict and bring about uh, a, a great repentance as they turn from that sin and, and turn towards you, uh, Jesus. Let their greatest delight, let my greatest delight to be in you uh, and you alone, Lord. Let us recognize that sex is a gift from you and is a beautiful expression that, that you have granted to your creation. But you have given us boundaries, and you've given us good and right boundaries. And they are good and right because you say that they are. Not because of us and not because of what society says, but because of what you say they are. So let us hold your words above everyone's else. You're going to pray. Amen.